mission breach. Level 7, 11 and 13. They're headed towards command and control. Destroy the NAFCOM AI. No. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen. It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 212 and the movie this week was 1999's Wing Commander. And joining me to talk about it, he had seen it before and I had not, it's Sean Weiland. Sean, how are you? (laughs) I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. And not only did I see this, I saw this when this came out in theaters. Well, uh, we'll get to kind of why I hadn't seen it. But but first, what I want to know is, okay, so you saw it in the theaters. I kind of want to know your history with the movie a little bit. Oh, gosh. Uh, The history of the movie goes for me back to the history of the video game. Okay. um, Which was... Same same name of the series is Wing Commander. There was at least five, plus some some offshoot, mm-hmm. almost like mission packs you might call them. Um, and so I played those growing up. Those were one of the first games to have live action video in the game, uh, and that included uh, cameos. I mean, or actually, not cameos, full parts with um, Mark Hamill mm-hmm. as an actor, like in the series, not as Luke. Although they had some great outtakes if you beat the game in a certain way. <laughs> uh, so this is one of the first games that did that. Uh, I remember watching my older brother play it. Then he would like, let me fly some easy missions. It was just kind of a whole mm-hmm. like games romance thing for me. Yeah. And then when it was coming out in theaters, another Star Wars tie-in. It was one of four movies to actually show the preview for Phantom Menace or the trailer for Phantom Menace. Yep. So, and and I, the, I also like a lot of the cast in the uh, movie, primarily Matthew Lillard. Like, it's like, Wing Commander's coming out, Matthew Lillard's in it, it's got the Star Wars preview, I'm like, I have to see this movie. And, and, I, and I, I watched it again last night, and I, <laughs> I, I, I think I tried to last month, too, and I, then I missed our recording, original recording time. But, uh, yes, there are, there are glaring flaws in the movie, movie <laughs> but it's, I still like it. That's, yeah, that's a short snapshot on my history. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and... and... So when the movie came out, I knew it was based on a game. I had seen the Wing Commander games, but I hadn't dove into them. I had when they were coming out. Um, I was more of a console gamer at the time. I was NES, SNES, and N sixty four. So, but I I had seen the games. I knew that Mark Hamill was uh, was part of the games. What I didn't know was the rest of the cast of the games. I didn't know that eventually you had um, what's his name, Tom. Uh, Biff from Back to the Future. Tom, I can't think of his last name. Wilson. Tom Wilson uh, is in Yeah, he was... Um, um, he was Maniac. Maniac. Yeah, I, was, I almost want to call him Madman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You had John Rhys-Davies. You had uh, Malcolm McDowell. Like, mm-hmm. crazy to, to, to see the cast that was in these movies. Uh, movies. I mean, they were, they were basically movies with some interactive stuff, some game play added in, effectively, is, is how I understood them. And, but for some reason... I didn't have a deep connection with it. And so I didn't run out to see the movie. And then all I heard were terrible things about it. And um, 
so I just it just kind of went out of sight, out of mind for a long time. And I sort of I wrote it off as like, well, I'm just never going to watch it. I don't care. I don't care about Wing Commander. I ended up playing the games later on, and the games are a lot of fun. They are really, really well done. And because of that, it always made me... Then I would think about the movie and I'd be like, well, well, I'll get to it at some point. And then I just never did. Or it wouldn't be available on a streaming platform or whatever it was. Um, So it just sort of out of sight, out of mind. I never really got around to it. So when you brought it up, I thought this is the perfect opportunity to finally see this movie and see, is it as bad as the Rotten Tomato score uh, leads you to believe or you know, the word of mouth that I'd heard on it. What's the Rotten Tomato score on it? Uh, like 10. I think 10%. Oh, oh um, really? That's, and on IMDb, yeah, I, IMDb's rating on it is uh, a uh, 4.3 is what they give it um, out of 10. And those are always, you know, those are user reviews. It's about 17,000 reviews uh, for it at a 4.3. Um, here's what I will say watching this movie for the first time, um, is that it opened up, it looked like wing commander, that opening scene in the station and the way it's lit, the way it's framed, it looks like wing commander. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. all right. I can see they got something going on here. There'll be like a cool style, you know, stylistic choice to do that because it doesn't look it's weird. It, it looks cinematic, but it looks cinematic for a video game. Um, it's got that early, but uh, I don't even know what those engines were called, but like the early 3D video, like not 3D, but motion graphics rendering engines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They always kind of had like some, some, uh, some artifacts that kind of stayed on the screen slightly too long. There was probably more of a part of the CRT monitor, but they got that kind of effect going. And this is 1999. They had, they had the technology to not do that. Right. So it was either they were using super cheap cameras or it was, or is an intentional design choice. And I would like to think it was intentional because, uh, one of the main producers on the film, uh, was the uh, CEO of origin systems who made the game originally. Yeah. I mean, the director of the film is Chris Roberts who created wing commander. Oh, he was the director on the film. I thought he was the producer. No, he was he was the director, and he wrote the the nice. uh, story. He didn't write the screenplay, but he wrote the story. And I saw that, and I was like, okay, all right. So, yeah. so we've got somebody who knows Wing Commander. That's always a big thing for me when you're adapting something, because adapting a novel, it's usually typically somebody who likes the source material, but not always. Um, but when it's when it's a video game franchise or it's a comic book um, thing that has you know a lot of installments in it, I always feel like you can tell the difference between somebody who knows and loves the source material when they're at adapting something, and somebody who just does it for hire. Like, and in this case, I, I saw that and I thought, okay, well, this this gives me some hope that the the this guy obviously knows his Wing Commander, and. And I liked the stylistic choice of like, okay, it looks like these kind of early full motion video games. There's sort of like, there's no depth of field, right? You don't have like, the background isn't out of focus where you're focused on the foreground. It just sort of, it looks like it was shot in front of a blue screen. That's fine. I like, I dug that. And then things started happening and I'm like, what is going on? Because it's, it, it quickly got very confusing for me in a few things. Like, also I loved 
so I ended up watching this movie three times total in prep for the show because I watched it a few weeks ago when we were originally going to record and we had scheduling issues and we, we had to redo it. But Sorry. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> um, but when typically when, I, when I'm getting ready for a show, I will watch the movie once, especially if it's one that I'm watching for the first time, and I'll just sit down, sit back, watch it, and absorb it. And then I'll watch it a second time and analyze a little bit more, grab a few audio clips I like out of it, pay more attention to kind of backgrounds when I'm not just taking in the story. And then I watched it again um, this weekend to refresh uh, just to make sure it was fresh in my brain. And I noticed little things like um, when there's the security breach, breach is misspelled on the screen. It's it's spelled with two E's. Um, <laughs> it just made me laugh. Uh, there were other things like Devereaux is spelled wrong. Like it's spelled differently in the movie than it was in the games for whatever reason. Oh, oh, oh gotcha. I don't know why. Um, but it, it, my problems with this movie, and I, and I can understand why, A, why critics didn't like it. Um, critics are a weird breed. And if a movie isn't tailored towards a critic, uh, they're just not going to like it is normally what ends up happening. So I kind of got that part of it. Like I understood the poor reviews uh, there, but even, even with something like that, usually audiences tend to like something a lot more, um, especially something with a built-in audience like this would have. But audience doesn't really like it either, and I kind of understand it a little bit because it gets really muddled. The, the, I found the movie to have a weird sense of pacing and like it didn't know what story it wanted to tell. Yeah, and I... So... In, in the same fashion, I like to watch movies for fun. Mm-hmm. I um, I have a theater degree. Uh, I'm a voice actor. I work in video games. Uh, there's not a lot of stuff that I don't do professionally that I can just go sit down and be like, I know nothing about this process. I can just have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the first time I saw Wing Commander, like, awesome. This is great. I was so happy I saw that. It's a great night. Um, going back and watching this again, I still think it's a great space 90s action movie. Uh, I think it's it's if it's if that's your criteria, it's great. However, <laughs> and like even as I was watching it last night, uh, I'm like, wow, the story just kind of jumps around for an, an hour and a half movie. You have to know what story you're telling, and it has to be kind of just one story. You can, you yeah. don't have a lot of time, and I I I get the feeling that Chris Roberts you know, handed him a, like a story outline and said, these are, this is what I want the movie to be about. And then scriptwriters took it and went, okay. And then someone else, you know, producers and editors just chopped it up. This, yeah. And in fact, yeah, there was, yeah. uh, there was a quote, I think from Freddie Prince Jr. Um, talking about this movie and how much he hates it because it wasn't what he signed up for is the way he puts it. Like he, he's um, said, repeatedly from what I read anyway, that like he, he read a script. He really liked the script that he got. And then the movie that they made was not that at all. And that's gotta be frustrating because I'm the same way. I like just watching a movie and I like being entertained and it, it takes a lot for me to not like a movie. And even with this, this is a great Saturday afternoon, you know, cable sci-fi movie is what this is. And the problem was, is that it got marketed as, and it was sort of put out there. I mean, this this movie came out the same year as Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. And whether or not you like episode one, The Phantom Menace, that looks like a movie. It looks like uh, a, you know, two hour feature film. This 
unfortunately because of like the muddled story and then the stylistic I, I i feel like the stylistic choice of the way they wanted to make it look it looks it doesn't look like a theatrical film it looks like a made for tv film in that way some of that might be the inexperience of chris roberts as a film director because i think this was his first film um yeah. but it's not it's weird because it, there's definitely a camp factor to it it's enjoyable I find, uh, even though I was I was not the biggest Freddie Prince Jr. fan when I was younger, I find him fine. There's nothing wrong with him other than he spends a lot of the movie looking very confused. Like he has a lot, he has the furrowed eyebrows most of the time, and like he's a deer in the yeah, headlights. Yeah, he has. A, a, as I say, the beagle that doesn't know what he's looking at. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Um. Yep. Exactly that. Uh. I I love Matthew Lillard, so I don't. Yeah. He, I, I understand he can be an acquired taste for some people don't like his like manic energy, but I love it. I loved him in hackers. I loved him in scream. Um, SLC punk is on my short list of movies that I need to watch. I have not seen it. And that I get that same reaction that you're giving me right now from people. When yeah. I say I love Matthew Lillard and I haven't seen SLC punk and the people are like, just sit down and watch it now. So it's on my list. It's going to happen. Um, I will say, because so I have, I like you. Like I have a, a movie backlog. I have a video game backlog. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I generally don't get. I don't either tell people exactly what those things are because it just doesn't come up in conversation. People also are like, uh, don't, I don't know that one. Mm-hmm. Speaking from viewership experience, knowing that you're a fan, like you're going to be happy. This like it's it's just you know Matthew Lillard and hackers in this. SLC Punk came up before this. I think yeah. it was in between this and Hackers. Um, he's got that that before he decided to be Shaggy, which is hey, great career move, but I didn't watch him like that. I didn't like it. <laughs> this is like prime him. Like if you want to see him do drugs in Salt Lake City, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a good time. It's gonna be train spotting in the U.S. Hey, I'm I'm for that because I like train spotting. Like that's a great movie. Yeah. So, um, but like the cast was fine. Like I love Jurgen uh, Proc now. Uh, who had to have felt like, did you guys just cast me in Das Boot in space? Like, what What the hell? <laughs> that's what it felt why like. He's like, why, why am I doing yet another submarine movie? Um, it, and um, Checky Car- Cario um, is great. Uh, I like him a that lot. Paladin? Yeah, Paladin. He I, has, I could not pronounce either of their names. <laughs> he has a great, both of them have this great presence on screen. Um, in anything that they're in, like they're just magnetic. Uh, and it kind of bums me out that like Jurgen Prock now in this is kind of, he's relegated to a very one note thing, which is, I don't like this guy because he's a pilgrim and I don't like the pilgrims and the pilgrims are bad. Oh wait, I guess he's not so bad. Yeah. He's, he's very much a space racist. Um, but there were some other like casting things that, that tickled me. Um, David Warner. David Warner's always a win. Uh, he was the Admiral Tallwin. Oh, yes, yes. Um, oh, yeah. He's one where you see him in a movie and you're 50 50 on, like, okay, I love David Warner, but when's he going to go? When's he going to be uh, revealed as the bad guy? Like you're waiting for that to happen. Um, and in this right. case, it didn't happen. Although um, I did read there was, it wasn't him, it was the, uh, the captain of the Tiger Claw. Um, who was played by David Suchet. Uh, yeah, I can't remember a character name, but yeah. He um, he was Captain uh, Sansky. And when he first showed up on screen, 
and he speaks in his normal English accent, it threw me because I'm so used to him playing Poirot from those from the old uh, TV movies and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm like, I'm waiting for he he didn't sound Belgian, and it messed with my head for a second. Um, <laughs> but there was apparently originally in the cut of the movie, um, he was like a saboteur or a, a traitor. There was a subplot mm. with that that they cut completely. And when you, if you go back, when, if you watch this again, pay attention to his scene where he dies, because it's absolutely, you can tell that wasn't his normal death scene. And they had more that he was supposed to do later and they just cut it. Oh, I was, I was going to say that even the way that they, they shot that and I mean, cause they, they had a very good focused camera angle on him. Like you mm-hmm. can see him, you could see his head, his eyes were open Yep. <laughs> now. And, and I, I think he's a good enough actor that if he's on camera, he knows whether he's supposed to be conscious or not. Mm-hmm. His eyes are supposed to be or closed. There, I'm like, oh, hey, he's half faking how bad that injury is. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that cracked me up because I found that out after I watched it the first time. I read and like, oh, that makes sense why his death was so weird and like just not mentioned at all, and he's just ignored for the rest of the movie. Like they don't mention him again mm-hmm. after that. And it, and then I read that he was supposed to have this subplot. I'm like, okay, well that makes sense then. So there's there's some more of that like stuff getting chopped up and cut and and re-edited kind of in post like that hurts it hurts the movie in the, on a whole because it gives you that scattered approach where mm-hmm. you've got too many there's too many threads to follow and like you said an hour and a half long movie find your story tell your story tell one story um cuz the other thing that the movie does is it do, has this weird feeling of like time passing and what is the what's happening because the beginning of it we get the attack on the the base and they steal the navcom computer and then we're given a tight timeline right like the kilrathi are going to get to earth in 40 hours hours. yeah and we're not going to get there till two hours after that and we've got to beat them there and we can't get a message to this ship which is the closest one without sending a different ship out there um and going through like some sort of shortcut. But then once he gets to once uh the two Blair and uh and Maniac get to the the Tiger Claw, now it's like they're just messing around, going on missions while they're going through space. Like it was really strange to do to do that kind of stuff. And it felt like tension, tension, tension. Oh, never mind about that. We're gonna go over here and tell this story for a bit. But but we still have to get there before they do. <laughs> it was just weird. There's, there's, there's so much just in that. Like, I, honestly, like I could have, for what it feels like the story that was there, I think could have been two to three movies, mm-hmm. but just that, that portion of getting there, the tight deadline, and then getting on the ship and trying to be like, Hey, we got to be part of this team really quick because we have a now 50 or 40 hour, whatever hour deadline, because it took us so much time to get here. Yeah. That's interesting. That's dramatic. That's compelling. Mm-hmm. It could be like, and then you're, the first time they walk into the the mess or whatever that little lounge is, and they start a fight essentially. Yeah, <laughs> like, like oh sh- sh- man, this is going to be really tough. This is you know these characters up against not just a terrible enemy, but some interpersonal dynamics. All right, then I forgot how quickly uh, Ma- Matthew Lillard or Maniac and uh, Rosie hook up. Yeah, <laughs> I could have sworn there was some other amount of romance in there. Like in my head, I'm trying to be like, well, you know what? They're in a war zone. They all know they're gonna die. They have this this whole un, not unspoken, but you don't name anyone after they've died. They don't exist. I'm like, well, that's dark. 
it's dark and that's honestly i, I was like what what even is that like that felt really weird to me like it felt like the right. opposite okay. of what you would do right it it you have this group of people who are who have to you're you're in a foxhole with them effectively you're you right. mm-hmm. and you in that environment i feel like what you would do is you would honor those that die because you know your time is short out there and instead they're doing the opposite of that which is like trying to forget any of them outwardly so, so i i i often will I think a lot of people might do this, hopefully, uh, like legitimize plot holes in my head. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I do too. No, 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 because so what they're saying is, <laughs> so my hope internally was they're relatively all young. Mm-hmm. I would say like even the uh, the wing commander, um, I get her name off the top of my head, but the leading lady yep. uh, was maybe supposed to be 30, 32. Right. So if she's the most veteran person there, all these people have been through some intense trauma. And they're just losing people left and right from what it sounds like. Because I think mm. one of them, one of the people says, hey, this is where you go to die. Like, yeah. You don't get to come back from this, this uh, deployment. So at that point, like maybe, maybe people would actually start being like, look, the only way that we can get through a day is to just not think about it and to not acknowledge it. Um, which is psychologically terrible for sure. But mm. Maybe that's how younger, immature people that are put into that environment might might have to cope. Um, besides that, and just readily meeting people that they think are um, smashable, yeah, <laughs> and, and and going to town, um, yeah, pretty much just just getting drunk. Yeah, and that, that leads to another thought in my head. But yeah, no, it's so okay. The uh, other thing that gets me just romantically is uh-huh. the, it was so forced between Blair and the, the wing commander lady, like the leading lady in the oh. Absolutely. The uh, film. Saffron, like I was waiting for more. I thought there was. Saffron Burroughs. Yes. Um, I was waiting for more, and then all of a sudden, like, there's, like, looking at the timer, there's five minutes left. <laughs> and Wait, he's what? all concerned about where she is. And, yeah, that was, that, again, an hour and a half long movie, and they're trying to cram in that romance and Maniac and Rosie's romance and the countdown timer of, like, we got to get to Earth or Earth is going to get obliterated by the Kilrathi. But we're going to have a quick sidestep where they go on a, a little mission out there and then mess around. Um, and then we'll have another mission that they go on and have that go all pear-shaped because they weren't listening again. And it's like the, they're the least disciplined uh, military people you've ever seen. Um, so, yeah. It, and I don't, I don't knock anybody's. Like the performances in this aren't spectacular. But they're fine. I have no problems with anybody acting in the movie. Yeah. Um, I think everybody that, yeah. everybody in it understood the assignment. They knew what they were doing. They knew what kind of movie they were making. Um, it just is weird uh, tonally. Like, the movie is strange tonally. And then the Pilgrims aren't part of the video game lore at all, correct? I, I, I read that they weren't, like, the Pilgrims as a story point weren't a part of Wing Commander. They were made for this movie. Which, if that's true, that's also really odd because it feels like why would you add that into... You've already got plenty of lore going on. And then they add this part in, which really just felt very forced. Like, the romance between Blair and Devereaux is definitely happens too quickly. And everything to do with Blair being half-pilgrim and the pilgrims 
and whatever they were, like they were just people that suddenly could navigate the stars without a computer. Um, but then got all high and mighty about it after hundreds of years of being out in the stars. They're so, space salmon. Yeah, it was just... Using <laughs> I like that. I'm going to start calling them space salmon. Uh, Freddie, <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. played a half space salmon uh, pilot. Um, but it was just, it was such a weird plot point and they made, they hammered it into you too. Like, like I said, uh, yeah. Procknow's character is just, that's like every other line of his is about pilgrims and he's carrying that, um, he's got that cross that he wears that apparently has a hidden blade in it that is shown once and then never, like that's the, that you, I, I thought that was going to be like Chekhov's knife. Like he was going to need that at some point. Yeah. And then never used it. Abigail Rathy in the heart. Cause whatever um which is again where i feel like maybe there were plot points that they wanted to do like with that and the the captain being a traitor and sort of that sort of stuff that they just got rid Mm of and so we never saw it um and then you find out that paladin is also uh descendant of pilgrims right at the end that was a great line i did enjoy that i thought that was a cool moment never asked yeah (laughs) Like that was a that was a cool moment, but we had to go. We had to have an hour and fifteen minutes of movie to get to that point. Um, for it was basically all done for that one moment where he could back him up and be like, "No, I'm a pilgrim too." And suddenly, everybody's just fine with him being pilgrims. There's no more space racism. They're... Well, really, they just didn't. No one else came on camera to address it. <laughs> like fair. That's a fair point. Um, <laughs> like if. Because <laughs> I was wondering about that, like, oh, is someone about to be like, oh, mother, you're a pilgrim too? Uh, 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 but no, yeah. Uh, and also, what was the uh, the helms helmsman or navigation in the? Um, oh no, I'm forgetting the the main sh- the ship they were on the whole time. Yeah, the Tiger Claw. Uh, tiger, tiger. I want to keep on to calling it the Rapier, but that's the name of the ships they fly. That's their X wings. Yeah. Um, but the the I want to say it's navigation on the Tiger Claw. Um. I keep wanting to call, to call him the Linux operating system Ubuntu. <laughs> yeah, Obutu. And I know it's not yeah. that. Very Obutu. close. Yeah, yeah. Who's played uh, by Hugh Quarashi, uh, who was in Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. So he really? did. He was in both those movies that year. Nice. Um, he he's an actor I love seeing pop up and stuff. He was in a couple episodes of uh, Doctor Who that I really enjoyed, and then. Um, I always remember him. He has a very, very, very small part in the original Highlander film. He's like one of the only other immortals in that movie besides Sean Connery, Christopher Lambert, and the Kurgan. Um, He's in basically one scene where uh, he meets up with Connor on a bridge and they talk for a minute about, oh, it's the gathering. I'm so excited. And then the next time he's in the movie, he's fighting the Kurgan and getting killed. So... He was, I think, originally going to be in it a little bit more. Um, but I always remember him from that because I love Highlander so much. And so between that and his character of Captain Panaka in episode one, um, another great name. He he has these names that are oh, yeah. just off of a thing that you know, like Captain Panaka. When I saw episode one, I thought they called him Captain Banaka, and it really messed with my head. I'm like, why would you name somebody after a breath spray? Um and now in this Obutu, um, instead of Ubuntu. So yeah, he, uh, he was underused, but you know, a lot of their side characters were, he, 
I liked him though. Um, I mentioned David Warner. I mentioned David Suchet. Um, Jackie Cario though, as Paladin was a cool character. Now in the video games, he's played by Paladin is John Reese Davies. And he's I don't remember. So I, okay. I will agree to that. Cause there was some like, but I don't remember. There was some switching around. Told me not to do research. (laughs) So, well, there was all right. I'll just fly blind. Yeah, there were there were some characters that changed around because um, Paladin in the games was John Rhys Davies and he's a Scottish character, and they make him uh, French in this. And Devereaux is uh, Belgian in the games, but also a man. If I remember correctly, they gender swap Devereaux for this. I think I could be wrong on that. I so I'm trying to remember. It's been a long time since I've played the games, but I, I remember there's two potential romance interests. So one of them is your mechanic, mm-hmm. which I think they were playing at when they have her come on screen, screen with the uh, the coveralls on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, I thought she was a grease monkey. And he's going, <laughs> well, technically there is one in the games, and then, but uh, there is there was another one. It might have just been one of the other people in the squad that was female that Blair has a thing with. Okay, I don't remember. Oh no! I guess in the game too. Never mind. They just uh, changed from being English to or French to English, Belgian to English. I think is okay. the only difference there. Um, so it must have been somebody, something else. I was reading about where they they gender swapped a character from a game into an adaptation. But I liked, um, for the most part, I kind of liked the different characters. It just, I, f- I feel like I'm going to be a broken record here, but this is a project, this is a property that was would have been much better served to have been made into a series than a single movie. Mm. Because of what you were saying earlier about like having the the different stories to tell. So you could tell the, you could tell the story of what this movie was doing, but spread out over more time to give us more time with the characters and to understand and build this world a little bit more where we are in the whatever, I think 2600s, I want to say is the year. Um, they, they mentioned somewhere in there like Earth year 26 something or other in one of the little timestamps. But okay, more time in this world and, and more understanding of this Kilrathi war and plus they're throwing in an, an, an old war with the Pilgrim War. Um, right. That couldn't have been that long ago if Blair's father fought in it. And now they're also fighting to kill, kill Rathi. How long have they been fighting them? Cause for this big war that supposedly, I mean, we, we see one, what two, I guess we see two ships, um, really from the confederation of humans, but it was like some of the, the stakes just didn't feel like they were, I didn't feel them because everything was just moving so quickly. But then we would diverge and have like the the friendship building and the team building stuff with the wing and the the fighter pilots that we really basically get uh, Angel and Rosie. The rest of them are just sort of there. Like they have the one confrontation with uh, with what's his name in the mess hall. And then we don't really see him again for like a half an hour of the movie. Right, and I'm trying to. I can't remember either of the names. There's one with a scar on his face, and one that looks just like him without the scar on his face. Yes, yes. And I can't remember which one's which. 
one like which is... one started the fight? Because the other one, the other one is the one that takes his gun and gives it to Devereaux uh, right after Rosie's, Rosie dies. Okay, yeah. Um, one of them was Lieutenant Hunter, and I think that is the one without the scar. And Polanski is the one with a scar. I'm not sure on that, though. Oh, okay. I think, oh, so maybe maybe it was the both guys same times then. I, th- I want to say that's when Devereaux walks in the West, walks into the mess hall and says, explain to me what's going on, and then she like says, like, Corporal Hunter or Lieutenant Hunter, yeah. tell me. Um, yeah, Hunter well, was... Hey, there's some consistency then. Yeah, Hunter was the one that uh, confronted him right away and gets into the uh, the Freddie Prince Matthew Lillard sandwich. <laughs> um, which again, like we just needed. I wanted more time with them. What? Why does he? What? What is his thing against the Pilgrims? Or is he just the the space racist? You know, does he have like any kind of a background? What, what did his parents or did his dad fight in the, the Pilgrim War? Something. He, we just know that he gets really angry really quick. He's a hothead. Um, and he doesn't like Blair immediately. Uh, and he won't fly with a Pilgrim. That was the other one. Like later on, he has that line. So this, right. and, and that's why she ends up being his wingman. So her, that, that sets up Devereaux and Blair to be uh, flying together because Hunter won't fly with him. So it's just, there's, there's things again, I feel like, I think you're right in that. I think Chris Roberts came with a story and a, and a, a treatment and was like, here's what, here's what we've got. And the script writers didn't do a great job fleshing that out and kind of went in too many directions. And then who knows how much of this got cut up and how long that for all I know, there could have been like a two hour and 40 minute original cut of this that they had to then try to trim down. Because you know the studio oh, yeah. didn't want anything more than, than two hours long. And that's why we end up at, I think it's an hour 40 is what we ended up with. So Right around in there, hour 30, hour 40. But, yeah. and I, I think you're right. I think, oh. oh no, go ahead. <laughs> uh, saying like, that seemed like it was obviously a much longer movie, at least as written. If not, I mean, they could have easily filmed all of it and had that trimmed out too. Um but a a fully realized like uh, streaming miniseries like eight episodes eight mm-hmm. one hour episodes would be and that that would that makes my kid heart sing like that'd be <laughs> awesome like I would I would love to see that even now like if they somehow got the money to reboot it a Netflix original remake series yeah and oh, I man. find I find this a lot with a lot of these sci fi movies that I've watched either over the years or I talked about it on this show quite a bit is kind of these higher concept sci-fi things deserve a show to flesh out because there's so much lore there and you have a world to build. And like, it's one thing when you make a like star Wars, what that, the lightning in a bottle that George Lucas captured with that first movie and everybody that worked on that and helped him and kind of re you know, helped uh, change that ending to make it a little tighter. Um, but they, they captured this lightning in a bottle because they told a very simple story and he was able to then continue that story and flesh that out over the course of a couple more movies. And then it can become this juggernaut that it is. That's hard to do. And there's a lot of times there's a lot, especially sci-fi. There's a lot of first attempt sci-fi movies that just they fizzle right away and you never get the rest of that world building. And I think in today's climate with the limited run series that we get, 
it's tailor made for stories like this. It's it's Wing Commander, it's Titan AE, it's um, uh, Twelve Monkeys. These things that like Starship and, Troopers. Starship Troopers would be a great one, honestly, um, mm-hmm. because there's so much there, and if you can't. It, it benefits the the uh, material to give it more time to breathe and to give us a chance to care about the characters, um, and so I, I'm I'm all for that. I love stuff like that. Uh, I bring up Twelve Monkeys too because Stargate Pioneers in my chat right now, and I had him watch Twelve Monkeys the movie, and he had seen the series before that, and he hated the movie because of the series. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, so there was um, Stargate tie-in. I don't know if you saw that in doing research. Um, I might have, I'm not sure, but, uh, let me know. T- tell me about that. So I've terrible both names. And since I, I don't think I have, yeah, I don't have any screen with, with cheat code, cheat, cheat, cheat facts on me, but the composer for the film, uh, also worked on, uh, Stargate and no, like four other notable sci-fi and movie series. Oh, Independence Day. Okay. All right. Um, oh yeah. David, can, we can really hear it. Like, the David, opening score you're like yeah david arnold did the theme and yep he uh he did music for uh oh wow he was a composer for casino royale too the the daniel craig bonds he actually worked on like seven different bond movies yeah they world is not enough full... so he's got some uh some pierce brosnan era have you been smoking grass and you're right like there was there was music parts of this that I, I very much enjoyed. Um, it was this com- it was this weird combination of things that felt like a film and then other parts of it that felt like a TV show or like a made-for-TV movie. And the theme music in this felt like very cinematic. Some of the music in different parts felt a little TV movie, but the theme and those main overarching parts were very much... Um, like cinematic stuff. Like they brought in, they, they spent some money. They brought in David Arnold to do that. Um, and I guess there were yeah. two composers cause he just did the themes and then they had somebody else did the rest of it. Yeah. The other guy, they often work as a pair. Um, hmm. okay. gosh, man, I, I'm so, I'm so terrible. I wish I could remember his name, but they, 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 they often work together. They play off each other. Um, uh, Kevin Kiner. Okay. And a lot of his a lot of his stuff is uh, TV based, especially back at that point. So that kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, I it's not a this isn't a like unwatchable movie because I have seen some truly unwatchable stuff, and I don't think that it. Uh, it I think it is unfairly thought of as one of the like worst movies, um, or it certainly doesn't deserve a ten percent. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score because oh. again you can sit down and watch it and if you kind of turn your brain off and just enjoy what you're seeing there is parts that it's kind of silly because there there are definitely parts in the CG that look almost worse than the video games did yeah and I feel like I thought they were trying to look like the video games so I, I, did I sat there with that with that part of my brain going oh that's nice like hey they, thanks for trying to like to recreate some of those parts even though like even just some of the scenery looks like when the games originally came out. Like this was mm-hmm. like early effects from Star Trek ne- Next Generation kind of yeah. stuff that we're looking at. 
you know, plastic or cardboard like consoles, you know, on the on the bridge. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, I know use the same button guy for those buttons on that console. <laughs> so I like that. When but speaking of just the visuals, mm-hmm. one thing that I that I noticed rewatching and that got me was I I wanna say it's um the first bridge that we see in the in the uh, interior. They kind of they walk up and they look at the console and they're like, "That's they got the thing and they blew up the ship and blah blah blah." And I'm looking at these guys standing there, and the height of the bulkhead is like just an inch above their heads. Yeah, again, and like on the bridge, I'm like, "These who ships, designs this? These ships were space submarines." Like, I'm looking at that and I'm having flashbacks to watching um, like K19, the Widowmaker, and seeing Liam Neeson mm. on a set. Because that movie, they built the sets to scale, and Liam Neeson is six foot four, so he just kept cracking his head on the bulkheads because he is too tall to be walking around <laughs> in a submarine. <laughs> and that's all. Like I kept thinking, they they're absolutely making a submarine. Like these are space submarines. It was hilarious. They even hide um, when they're hiding in that crater on that moon, and the Kilrathi ships coming over top, dropping the bombs. Like depth charges, essentially, yeah, dr- they're dropping depth charges, and then he, uh, Paladin tells him to be quiet because that ship's going over top. And I was just like, because yeah. you know, that's what you got to do when you're in a submarine in space right? is be quiet right. or they'll hear you. <laughs> I was watching. I forgot um, about the space part. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, one of the YouTube reviewers I watched a couple of weeks ago was. Uh, making fun of that scene where he's like, you could have Slayer playing a concert while throwing a cat into a blender and nobody outside the ship would be able to hear it. <laughs> it's all like, and it's true. There's just, you're not, just not going to have it. Um, so it just cracked me up. But like the, the, now I will say they didn't give Chris Roberts a ton of time uh, pre-production wise for this um, because so the film was rushed into production. Uh, Fox put it out. And Fox, I will say, notorious for doing crap like this. I mean, it, it, a lot of studios do it, but I, I've had... Yeah. I, I will still not... I don't forgive Fox for what happened to uh, to Firefly. Whether, you, whether or not you like Joss Whedon, the way they treated that show um, is sad. But they, they wanted Wing Commander out um, before Star Wars, Episode One. So they ended up giving Chris Roberts only three months of pre-production time uh, instead of like usually a film like this would probably get six to nine months. And so you get half of that and probably I don't remember what the budget was, but it wasn't a big budget, which is another thing that it's not the movie's fault that it has a lower budget. So I earlier when I mentioned and we've talked about Star Wars a few times and that's not a fair comparison because Star Wars in 1999 George Lucas had effectively as much money as he wanted to spend to make those movies. Right. He he didn't really have any limit there. This movie had, let's see if I can find it here, uh, $30 million, which isn't a minute, it's not as small a budget then as it would be today, but that's still not a huge budget for something of this scale of yeah. sci-fi film. Um, and... Mm. It shows a little bit. Um, it shows like I thought the opening scene with um, where up until they go interior during the breach, I thought looked great. Like those shots over top, um, looking straight down on the compound, and you see just the shadows of the Kilrathi ships 
and then occasionally a couple of yeah. them and they're dropping bombs on it. I was like, that's a really cool opening. And honestly, I almost would have left that as like the only visuals you got and then cut to a ship and we're like, we lost a base. Um, I thought it would have been kind of a neat thing to do or some, I don't know. There was a few different things like that, that kind of popped through my head, but, but I love that visual. Um, I will say the Kilrathi were terrible. Uh, yeah, I figured we'd talk about that. <laughs> so in the video games, the clips that I've seen and what I remember, like they look like puppets. They're big kind of what space tigers, basically, right? They're cats. Yeah. Um, but long space hair, tigers. Uh, yeah. yeah, they got long fur and hair and, you know, they, they look very puppet like, but they look good. Um, and I did read that like they had something going on with the Kilrathi in this and then they changed it last minute and they had to rush doing it and they just, they look like hairless cats with goatees. Yeah, I know that's um, exactly fair because I was about to say the same thing. Like they look like hairless cats, man. <laughs> like they, they look like. And like like hairless cats that someone like spritzed like with a mister right beforehand. Yeah, like yes. why are they wet? Why are they glistening? And you have a wet space cat. Like, Thundercats has taken a weird turn. Oh man. Can you imagine what that ship would have smelled like? Just smells like damp cat. God. Oh. That's that's why they're so angry. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I would be too. Stuck in this uncomfortable armor and you're wet all the time. Ugh. Um and I, I get they're kind of going for the Jaws approach of, like, don't show them for a while. Um, and some of that's budget reasons. But when they do finally get revealed and that's what we got, it's like, oh, man, you, I would have rather had exactly what were in the video game show up. That would have looked so much better than whatever the the CG cat thing that they did. Um, that Yeah, that is was really disappointing. I, I still is. <laughs> Really disappointing. Just, just not not getting a real Kilrathi, at least from my mind's eye and, and remembrance sure. of Kilrathi. On but, top uh, of, like, we don't get any backstory about what the Kilrathi are or anything about yeah. them. And I have to imagine the games go into that at least a little bit. Yes. And that that's the, that's what I was kind of, I got to touch on is that, that the game, that's what the games were about. It was about the battle between humanity and the Kilrathi. And the somewhat reverence that you're the main character Blair ends up uh, getting from the Kilrathi. Right? It, it ends up being this, um, Oh crap. Uh, can't remember the name of the other sci-fi movie. It's the human and the alien that get stuck, like stranded together. And Oh, enemy mind. Um, enemy mind. Yes. Very much has that kind of feel to it narratively. Okay. Where, where that's Blair and one of the Kilrathi kind of become friends. Or at least respect each other. So sure. I, I thought we were going to get some of that or some of at least just like, hey, this battle is going on. And, and then trying to figure out this whole Pokemon War thing. So like uh, Freddie Prince, I'm, I'm just going to say is probably 25. Mm -hmm. uh, and his parents died when he was five. So this is basically 20 years after maybe the end of the Pilgrim War or close to the end. I guess. And is that enough time for there to be, for humanity after fighting against humanity for a long time. Yeah. Then regroup and then have another all out space wide battle between another race. Yeah. I, I thought, I, I thought we were going to get like some kind of 
oh, well, the Kirathi and the Pilgrims were allies because they both could navigate space so well. And how dare you kill our allies? That's why we're coming after humanity. Like, that'd be so, a great plot. I would love that. And then we get, then, then we know why they're pissed. Yeah. We'd get something. We have no idea to just, they want to dominate everything. Like it's, right. they, which is the, the writing equivalent of, we don't care. <laughs> just here, they're bad guys. Just enjoy that they're bad guys and we want to eliminate them. And it, it bums me out because watching this, it's enjoyable, but I, the, the, the reasons that I uh, would say it's bad aren't that it's like objectively bad. There are parts of it that are just not well done and that's, that's inexperience and, and less budget. And that's fine. Those things are forgivable completely. Um, what bums me out about it is that there's so much potential for like really cool sci-fi story here. You've got, um, give us more character in Blair. Blair felt very like his, the entirety of his character was that he was half pilgrim, which they don't give us anything of like, they barely give us much on the pilgrims and that's all he has going for him. Like Maniac had more of a character. Also, the second best pilot at the academy. Ah, yes. I don't know if you heard. That was another thing. Like that wasn't <laughs> played up enough. I don't feel like like we didn't have enough evidence. <laughs> I didn't have enough evidence of how good Maniac is supposed to be as a pilot, other than him saying it. And I kind of I enjoyed want that. More of that. So I, from what I from having experience those kind of people maybe having a few friends like maniac mm-hmm. i enjoyed that because him pointing at freddie prince going he's this he was not bad for the second best pilot of the academy <laughs> maniac was probably not in the top 10 <laughs> he's just talking about his friend in that tone so he could be like yeah all right because what i understood in and again i don't have a super deep background with the games but in the games maniac is kind of like uh maverick and top gun a little bit like he is yeah. that good but he's not and he's he border he borders on kind of being dangerous because of how good he is and sort of knowing it but like the way that they portrayed him with Lillard because of Lillard's energy it felt more like like you're saying he's not even top 10 in his class he just likes to brag that he is and he's just going to be like very loud about it and I just wanted, like, I wanted some evidence that he was that good of a pilot, even if it was just like a, a split second thing where he he does something in a dogfight, and we see that because we don't really get to see him fly ever. Kind of get that. I, I I think we kind of got that when he was uh, uh, going head to head with the Kilrathi, and like Rosie was right behind him, right before Rosie uh, was hit, <laughs> right before um, he caused Rosie's no, no. Uh, ship to get go down. Yeah. Insanely irresponsible, but from just a a pilot on pilot dogfight situation, he was doing something incredible, which was going straight on into fire and not getting hit and being able to, and like basically playing chicken mm-hmm. coming out on top. Theoretically, it looks like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I just like, I guess I wanted a little. Yeah, I just wanted something else to give me that feeling that like now this guy's really good. He's just a loose cannon. Um, instead of just being a loose cannon, because the most we get is him and Rosie in a, in a, you know, dick waving contest about who can do the more outlandish thing to land on the, on the ship, <laughs> which was also pretty ridiculous. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna smash this thing into the land and you know into the the deck, and nearly crush uh, a, a worker. 
um, like all this stuff, and then turn around and watch her doing a 540 barrel roll on her way in. <laughs> Cracked me up. Oh, it was and so re- it was so ridiculous. Not get grounded. From right, exactly. From how how did they let either one of them out of their bunk for like the rest of that mission? So, so being critical for critical sake. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're in a submarine slash aircraft carrier. They're marines in space. Yep. As, as such, they are they have been called marines. One of the the background voiceover. Uh, one of the first or second dogfight where they're kind of like scrambling everyone to fly out. You can hear background voiceover going, "Get those birds in the air." <laughs> mm, no, no, they're 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 neither of those things. They're not nope. based on flying <laughs> in the air, and there is no air. Nope. No, but they do. Uh, they do come off the runway and dip a little bit before they take off because there's there's a little pocket of gravity right at the end of the runway. Well, you know, it's because they're leaving the artificial gravity of the of the ship. Right. I can. I can <laughs> I'll I'll buy that. They have artificial gravity of some kind, or magnets, maybe magnets. magnets that's what it is, because we don't know how those work. Um, <laughs> I did find, by the way, the quote uh, from Freddie Prince Jr. talking about. So, in an interview, he said, "I can't stand Wing Commander. I can't watch a scene in that movie. I read the script and I loved it, and so did my friend Matt. And we both got the parts, and we went on location, and they said, here's the script, and it was a piece of shit. <laughs> like that has I, you've signed the contract. You're now stuck there. You've got to do this movie." And that happens to you. That has to be terrible. Yeah, that breaks my heart a little bit. It does. But I'm not. Likewise with Freddie Prince, I'm not a huge Freddie Prince fan. Doesn't doesn't hit me one way or the other. Um, but like knowing that they're friends and liking Matthew Lillard, like, yeah, I I mean, I would love to do another movie with one of my friends. That'd be great. Sure. Like and that, like you can see, I could, I can in my mind's eye imagine those two just being like, "Fuck yeah, all right, we're gonna go do another movie together. This is great. Let's let's go have some fun." Yeah, I mean, they had done. Uh, was Matthew Lillard and she's all that? I don't remember, but I know they went on to do Scooby Doo together. Right, and uh, I mean, they did a bunch of stuff, but it's uh, Freddie Prince Jr. It's weird. I don't. Like he was in, I know what you did last summer, and I thought he was fine in that because that character played to his strength, which is the beagle looking at something and he doesn't quite know what it is. Like there was, he's got to have that little. He plays that type of character really well, especially in his younger days. He was really good at that sort of. I don't quite know what's going on. Character Blair feels like it shouldn't have been that. Like he was a little too wide eyed to be Blair. Um. He's gotten much, much better as he's aged, um, and he's also very funny. Like he's Freddie Prince Jr. is a lot funnier than you would think. Um, he he did a guest spot on Psych, and he cracked me up, playing like a a closet nerd. Like he's he's an old friend of the main characters in Psych, and they meet up with him, and he's acting all like they knew him as a complete nerd in in school, like grade school, but now he's like a jock. And he's he's got a beautiful model for a, a wife. He's got just a ton of money in this huge house, and like he's talking about watching football and all that. And secretly, he's buying the original helmets from Battlestar Galactica and keeping them in like a secret room in his house that his he doesn't want his wife to see because she'll think he's a nerd. And he's he's really funny in that. So I I do like him for those roles. It's just in this one. And again, it's not completely his fault. If you got a script that he didn't really connect with, it's hard to hard to get into that. So he's just sort of there. 
but he's not terrible either. Like, again, I kind of talked about it. This is a great Saturday afternoon, you know, cable movie. Um, there's nothing wrong with those. I like just to shut off your brain and watch them type of movie. But as I'm watching this, I've got these moments where I'm just like, oh, but they could have done this. Oh, this would have been so cool to see. Or like, we never see anything but the inside of the submarines and uh, space around some floating rocks. And that's basically all we see. Yeah, I mean, we get some very short uh, uh, exterior shots. But yeah, I mean, there's not... Oh, like, uh, I'm going to do it again. Not Star Wars-wise, where you're like, you're getting long panning shots. But, and, um, like, and, we get to see the the, uh, the rapiers yeah. inside of the ship a little bit. That's kind of... Yeah. I mean, we get a little bit of that, but the game. we don't get... There's nothing that takes place on any moons or any planets, um, which is fine. It doesn't... There doesn't have to be, but, like, we don't... There's no variation there. There's nothing that takes place in sunlight. It's all artificial light in the ship, so it all feels very dark and kind of enclosed which is there's nothing wrong with that but as like a just a palate cleanser have a, a scene in the beginning with somebody on a planet before they take off for a thing or at the end of it they they land somewhere maybe i don't um just would have been interesting to do um oh i had a thought what was i going with this uh was it let's see panning shots rapiers look like p51 mustangs without... they did definitely look like mustangs <laughs> the end of their wings. i think that was intentional if i remember mm-hmm. correctly but, yeah which didn't that didn't bother i, I kind of i like that design idea of like almost now putting it 600 years in the future i don't know but like it feels like no humans were like yeah we this is what a fighter plane would look like we'll just make a fighter plane in space um just, i mean aerodynamics doesn't really matter but at the same time it's a cool look, and I can give it rule of cool. Um, the costuming didn't do a whole lot for me. I didn't love those fighter jet helmets they were wearing. Oh yeah, yeah. I like actually that was the one part that I, I like. <laughs> looking at it like that's the one part they put some design work into because the rest of the costumes were just tank tops and jumpsuits. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, whatever. Like, I mean, they that's... they put design work into it. I just didn't like the design. It felt weird. Like, I don't know. Something felt, it felt a little, I guess that's where it felt cheap to me. was a little bit there. Because um, mm. I think the design of your big space aircraft carrier and the design of the rapiers um, was kind of cool. The design of the Kilrathi ships, I like um, when you see them. Uh, much, I mean, obviously way better than the design of the Kilrathi themselves, uh, who we don't see for most of the movie. Might as well just not have shown them. I was kind of surprised they had dialogue at all. Like they have, and it's only oh, right. like the one scene. I did like how they, they, they put it in their, in their script mm-hmm. and then very quickly had it like flip to the translation. Yeah. I liked like, that. That was a cool look. Small bit, but that was well done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Um, there were a lot of like small things like that that I, I did enjoy. I Okay, here was a thing plot-wise that was weirdly inconsistent too, um, which is kind of the theme of this movie. Jumping in space and space travel in to travel long distances. I, I'm okay if you don't give me like a breakdown of how it works, but I never understood what they were 
doing because the jump points seemed arbitrary. Like one is a jump point near a gravity well. And then another one is inside of a quasar, I guess, or near a quasar. But what were the... They weren't going through the gravity well or through the singularity. They were going next to it for a jump point. And I just didn't understand that. And then it was weirdly inconsistent as far as like, they made a big deal out of these jumps being dangerous, but right. no one ever failed them either. There's one throwaway line where like the um, Admiral David Warner is talking to his, his like first mate. And the guy says, you know, we lost, we've lost three ships, two of them in the last jump. But that's as much as we get, even though every time they jump, somebody jumps in this, it's like a, a big deal that, um, you know, it's, it's very dangerous going into it. And there's a lot like they're, they're afraid the ship's going to fly apart. There's even um, uh, Blair, when he makes his final jump into Earth space, is like, I made it. He's surprised that he made the jump. But yet that's so, like the fourth jump he made in the movie. So For him, like that's like, the one benefit and tie-in of his pilgrim uh, background is that that he can, without an AI computer plotting his navigation, mm -hmm. he can he can accurately predict or calculate what coordinates he needs and what you know, whatever other sciencey trajectory velocity stuff he needs to to make a jump smoothly. So that that part I kind of get. This, they try to make a deal of the of the navcom being the thing, and there's this whole line mm -hmm. at the end. We're like, no, the navcom's a replication of the brain. Oh well, yeah, whatever. Got to have one of the two if you're gonna try to jump. Um, I thought I can't remember which which jump points were by gravity wells and which ones are quasars. Like, is one of them the pilgrims or Freddie Prince seem to be using instead of one that they were supposed to, like the official regulated jump point. And I, I, I thought the idea that I got was that the, his more pilgrim innate dangerous move was that they were using gravity or some sort of energy from the thing that they were flying straight towards that would otherwise kill them to accelerate into a jump that they let them go farther. I mean, I... It could be I, my brain just going, magic. I mean, basically it is kind of, they, they do portray it as magic, but maybe that's because... You're right in that all we see are jumps done in these unofficial points because we see the first one is with Paladin and he tells him to go to, you know, whatever beacon it is. And you get uh, Matt Lillard saying, well, that's a no fly zone. He's like, just fly at it. Shut up and listen to what I'm telling you. It's my boat. And um, so it's an unofficial jump point. And then he takes the tiger claw. He tells them, no, there's a jump point in this quasar that's only 11 hours away because that's where um, Obutu says, well, our closest jump point is four days hard travel. So it was like this big, long circumventing. So maybe it's because we never saw like the jump points that they normally would use to understand. All we heard was like, you know, it's that time crunch where they've got to make it here in 40 hours because the Kilrathi will get there two hours before them. It, but it just wasn't, it never felt like, I never got the 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 true feeling of the danger that they were in with these jumps that I think the movie mm. wanted me to get. Um, even yeah. the one jump we see, because the first time we see it, it just goes to black, and then they end up on the other side of the jump. Um, and then the second time you see the jump, we actually get to see them go, like, they do the bullet time shots in there, 
and we sort of see what happens yeah, in the yeah. middle of the jump, which, you know, it's look, you got the technology to do that. It's, it's the late nineties. Um, I'm cool with that. I thought it was a neat idea. There was an extended shot. I saw that had more, there was like a third bullet time shot because they had Matt Lillard. Um, they had maniac and, and Rosie in the little mess hall doing their silly thing. And there was a shot on the bridge with um, Blair and Devereaux. But there was a third one that had, it looked like it may be Hunter. And it was hard to see because the video that I watched of it, it was um, cut together from deleted footage. So you could see like this was in the movie and then suddenly the quality goes to like a third of what it is and it looks really terrible. But it looked like Hunter maybe in the cockpit of one of the rapiers, like standing up as they hit the jump point and they did a, a bullet time shot going around him there. And then he sits back down as they come through it. Um, but I thought, you know, it, we, we joke about bullet time and it's become a meme by this point, but that was a big thing in the late nineties. Like that was That's visually huge. something we had never seen before. So I get them wanting to use that. And I didn't, I didn't mind that. I thought that was kind of neat, but again, it's just, I never felt the stakes, like the danger of the jumps that they were, implying there was so That's maybe i think really if, set that up. yeah if we had seen like regular jumps and then we see him saying no we're going to go to this point over here because like it's all done in dialogue it's all oh there's a there's a jump point here in this quasar nobody's jumped a quasar in 40 years well we're going to do it now and that's just what's going to happen and he you know he that's when he pulls the ring out and hands it to him as like his token of no i am who you know Listen to me, which was the first reveal of Paladin, but we don't get the full reveal of Paladin until later, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like he, he had layers to him. He's the cranky, yeah. crusty old captain, but then he's the crusty old captain who knows the Admiral well enough to get that ring. And then, oh no, he's not just a crusty old captain. He's a commandant. It's, it's kind of goofy how it, it took you saying that out loud to be like, oh man, he's basically Han Solo. <laughs> Kind of. I know the Admiral. Yeah. Yeah, you do know the Admiral, don't you? Mm. Yeah, you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. He's Han Solo, but he's Han Solo in the original trilogy packed into one movie. Yeah. He's yeah. all Absolutely. three iterations of Han Solo. Um, but at the same time, I loved his performance. He he made me uh, smile a lot, especially when he yells at, uh, at Maniac. <laughs> Just yells right in his face. Um, after the, the jump. Oh, right at the beginning. Yeah, right at the beginning. Just cracked me up. Because, and they they did it great with, yeah, the, the shot right after that is yeah. Matt Lillard, and he's kind of wiping the spit wiping off his, his face. face. Like, come on. Because <laughs> he was, I mean, millimeters from his face just yelling at him, which I did, uh, I did capture that because uh, that was some good angry acting. So, yeah, that was great. Uh, I... I it's a fun movie, and there are some some clips that I think are worth um, listening to if you want to. I because ca- I love to capture silly yeah. audio, especially in a movie like this. There's some there's some good funny moments. Um, <laughs> it was very quick for Maniac and Rosie to uh, to make their bond because um, they they bonded almost instantly when she says, "You got bulls. You should see them. Mine are bigger." Eh, there's your tropey, right? It's it's tropey, but I I enjoy I, it. That that was a good. I like one of the few times I liked how quick that comeback was. Mm-hmm. You've got bowls. You should see him. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, this this guy has had practice. Mm. 
he has had practice and he has no shame. And when yeah. that's the character, Matthew Lillard is perfect for it. Yeah, especially young 30, you know, 29 to 32 year old Matthew Lillard that he was. Well, I guess he was probably in his early 30s by this point. But like he plays younger because he was 99. I, I think he was 29. Yeah, he was like 29 when Hackers came out. Uh, yeah, he's the him. he's the 30 year old playing a high school student in Hackers. But he he honestly pulls it off better than most because he's his sure. energy keeps him feeling younger than he is. So like he's perfect for that that and so that 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 comeback being that quick is is great. Um I love that. And then when he gets his call sign uh it all, it felt both cheesy and forced, but I also liked it. Because she calls him a maniac, and he just latches onto it, and he just... Todd, Maniac Marshall, at your service, ma'am. <laughs> that's a complete Lillard moment there, and I had to get yeah, just... that's his laugh. Oh, yeah, so so I captured just that. <laughs> and now I have that for, for a soundboard forever, because... Oh, yeah, keep that. <laughs> I will. Uh, that, goes, that goes with my laugh of the character of Merrick from uh, No Escape. I don't know if you ever saw that movie with um, Ray Liotta. It was 1994. Uh, and <laughs> there's a character in that named Merrick, and he has one of the greatest laughs ever. And I have that on my soundboard, which is. <laughs> and I keep that forever. Nice. And it goes, it's right along in lines with uh, <laughs> the different types of laughs, but I love them anyway. Um, <laughs> so, th- so then. We get uh, Maniac and Rosie go out and do like a patrol. And I kind of like the scene leading up to that because he wakes up uh, Blair to tell him he's going out on patrol and that he needs to get rid of his little cross. There's like a a bonding moment between the two of them again. Sort of, it's a scene to let us know that they're real close friends. But I liked where he's like, oh, are we going going out? He's like, no, I am. You know, he's he's all dressed to, to head out there. But that's basically, we had the banter in the mess hall with maniac and Rosie and then maniac and Rosie go out on a mission together, like a patrol and now they're an item. And the next time we see them is they're resting, uh, between, between sessions in bed. And we sessions. get, we get this yeah. wonderful. So I think the big maniac needs time to refuel. <laughs> it's so good because it's so cheesy and I loved it. <laughs> and again, like, I, it's it's bringing the movie to a halt to have a scene like this, whereas in a series you would have like the episode where they're all getting to you know the where they meet the new crew and and they get they get along. For the movie, it takes you out of the the danger and the the tension of like we've got to get here really quick to suddenly have that. But but the benefit of it is, so I think the big maniac needs time to refuel. You get that, so <laughs> I. So having watched Matthew Lillard for most of my life, mm-hmm. um, having maybe had I want, my experience, I'm going like 90% that he, at that point, or at least since then, has talked exactly like that in bed. <laughs> I think, I think it was not acting. That was, that was real of him going, little, 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 little Lillard. Yeah. He's a little time to refuel. <laughs> Need some rest. 
<laughs> you think that was just him him uh, pulling on life experience instead of it's yes. not the that's Matthew Lillard that's not maniac is what you're saying that was uh, that was method acting yeah, <laughs> for sure um this was David Suchet the captain Captain Sansky and this is bordering on angry acting um is for this so that ring means nothing this ring has been in Tolwyn's family for 16 generations, and any man who carries it has the Admiral's full confidence. That is acting. That's what I, I get from that. Is like I, I get that feel that he is he is going for it in that scene, and he is going to deliver that line exactly like that. And it worked. It worked for me. I don't know. Uh, no, that so that was the weird part so that that made him come off. Very you know, straight. I, I line. might have my doubts, but like this, yeah, I go by the book. And that's the admiral's thing. Oh, yeah, good. He's a is he's lawful neutral. Mm-hmm. Like excellent, good. That's that's what you want from a captain. Um, so so I hadn't heard about the the betrayer subplot uh, that he might have had, or he had. That makes it kind of weird, but also. If you're saying that to someone that could potentially be your co-conspirator, uh, mm-hmm. uh, then then that makes a lot of sense because you would be angry that someone is potentially that that just showed up is potentially above you and knows a lot about what, everything that's going on, so that they could they could easily expose you. Yeah, which yeah. so that level of angry and acting like oh, it kind of makes sense. Um, but credit to him because he's acting on a couple levels and it makes sense. Yeah, um, which I was I was fine with. Like I I enjoyed that. And and again, other than I kept expecting him to sound Belgian, um, it was it was a good performance. I just wish that they had. Uh, uh, let's see, the characters really pretty. Oh no, um, but I just wish that maybe they had followed through with that plot a little bit more because it just. I hate when I see stuff like that, especially when I go back and rewatch it and I can tell that they were setting up something else and they just weren't able to follow it through. Because even his early, the early scenes with the captain, he's a little bit like, he's got kind of a, a weird look on his face and he sort of, um, he just feels a little bit off and then he dies and he's just forgotten about. Like he's he's not mentioned again. Um, there was a, because I guess there was, Something with when he finally does die, he gives the ring back to um, Blair. And it's some sort of like, I'm going to make up for what I was doing type of thing. So I think he kind of went for the, they gave him like the heroic death. And uh, because there was an extended um, final scene when he meets up with the Admiral, where he gives him back the ring and says it came from Captain Sansky. So... There was something of that too, and and again, it's just it's that that stuff. It's the the missed opportunity there, of like, oh, that that right. kind of an interesting subplot that they had to cut for whatever reason, and we're just not going to know. Um, but I, I enjoyed his angry acting there, um, and I also liked how every time he would tell uh, Abutu to do something, it was always it was very proper, and so he would say, you know, full speed if you please, and uh, my favorite one was. Mr. Obutu, stealth mode, if you please. I like that in a captain. There's something about that. He's just, he's very proper. 
that 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 pregnant pause almost <laughs> yeah. was was clever and i i i wonder about that well i mean obviously you said there was a part that was cut but butu like from the camera angle like gives him a lot of like back looking like side eye like all the time just kind of yeah it's kind of like looking like okay yeah i'll do that like, like, you normally just eye sir, and you just you stay facing your console and you do your thing. But mm-hmm. he was always looking at him. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah, they had a lot of that. Odd and, uh, until yeah. And then I also got uh, Checky um, yelling at Matt Lillard. You shut up! Again, just angry, angry acting. Wait, who was that yelling at him? That was Paladin. Checky Carter. Oh, oh, oh. That's him. Gotcha. That's him screaming in Matt Lillard's face. Just you shut up. Once again, it's on my soundboard now. I've got it forever. I can use that for whatever I want to. I may or may not. Um, uh, oh, Chris Roberts, by the way, has a cameo in the movie. Really? Um, yeah, he is the pilot of the ship that uh, locks tractor beam onto Blair at the end. <laughs> Which is why, if you're watching it for the first time, you're like, man, they're they're giving an awful long shot to this like random pilot with no name. Why is this pilot winking at him? (laughs) Yeah. That's Chris Roberts right there. Creator of wing commander uh, and director of this movie. (laughs) Right. Definitely that, Uh, that helmet and costume was doing him no favors. Um, Right. Like flight helmets or racing helmets never give anybody that has a wide face. They're not flattering anyway. So, you know, it's not his fault. Um, but yeah, I thought that was. It just, I like. I mean, I'm just imagining like you don't want your tow truck driver to like drive right by your car as he's coming up to it and just <laughs> wink at you and like. Gotcha. Hey, I, I was half expecting finger guns. <laughs> I'll tow you in. Don't worry, buddy. I mean that's that's exactly, uh, at least um, developmentally or like in in projects like that's his sense of humor mm-hmm. as a developer. Uh, I can't remember the end of one of the wing commanders. Um, Aniac if is like standing, like looking at a, like looking out a, of a, like a port window, like out in space, yep. the whole, like the whole vibe. And he's hand, holding on some railing and camel walks up next to him and they're chatting. And this is like one of the cameo or like extra scenes at the end of the game. He looks at Mark Hamill and goes, are you from star Wars? <laughs> That's credits. Nice. Uh, it does make me... So I will say this. The movie isn't great, but it does make me want to go back and, and check out the games again because I think there's some really cool like story elements to this uh, that I think would be fun to, to check out. And some of these characters, the way that I read about how they're... how they're, Plus, I mean, Mark Hamill. Come on. How great is that? Um, so it did, it did make me want to do that. Um, uh, I I I had a fun time with the movie overall. I will say that. I'll say uh, I don't know if it's on the streaming or not, but the the animated series, the Wing Commander Academy, I think it is. Oh yeah, that's um, right. I should know because I, I picked up a copy of it, but it, that has Mark Hamill and Malcolm McDowell as voice actors in it. Well, now we did get a we did get a hidden cameo of Mark Hamill in the movie. He was the Did, voice. Was he one of the Kilrathi? No, he was the oh. voice of Merlin, the the ship uh, ship computer, was Mark Hamill. 
Of course he is. And it's I did not, really, I did not know that. it's really hard to tell. There's like one moment cause it's very modulated and very, uh, distorted audio, but there was one moment where he said something and I was like, Oh, that's Mark Hamill. Like I just, because of how much voice work he's done and how much I love, cause Mark Hamill is a voice actor who does kind of like two or three voices. He's not, he's like the anti Hank Azaria, like Hank Azaria or Dan Castanella, a lot of the Simpsons voice actors, they just, they do like a thousand voices and some voice actors do that. And some voice actors do, you know, a handful of voices, a handful of different characters, but they do them so well. And like Mark Hamill is one of those. He does, he's great. I love Mark Hamill as a voice actor. And I can usually tell when Mark Hamill is doing voice work. He's just, his voice is distinct. Um, but there was only yeah. like one moment where I'm like, oh, that was Mark Hamill. And I looked and sure enough, yeah, uncredited as Merlin. Nice. So. Good. Uh, Thanks for that. You know what? I feel better about the movie now because I'm glad <laughs> they got more well, <laughs> the original cast back together. I mean, overall, like I had fun with this movie. I, I did go in with low expectations, with which I'm absolutely sure helps. Like I didn't, if you were, especially if you were a fan of the video game and you go to see this movie in 1999, it's, it's quite possible that you were going to be disappointed with it. Um, at the time you said you enjoyed it and that I can absolutely see why, but I can see I mean, I, the I flip side of it. 14 like, or 15 when it came out. So okay. you, you have to also throw in that the young male brain. Sure. Showing sure. like I, I, I most likely rode my bicycle to the movie theater <laughs> to go see this. And so, <laughs> the threshold for being entertained was also much lower and being, we had Rosie, and 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 Devereaux in the movie, like I f- I forgot how hot Devereaux was until rewatching this. I'm like, oh, oh d- damn. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think I can understand why the movie flopped the way that it did. And even Chris Roberts has said like I strayed a little too far from sort of the some of the look of stuff, and like he wasn't happy with the way the Kilrath he turned out, all that kind of stuff. And again, there's. There's a part of it that's the $30 million budget, but there's also inexperience as a film director. He had directed yeah. Oh, yeah. video and he had done, you know, creative direction in a video game, but that's not the same as a film set and especially a studio film, something that's got, you know, $30 million getting put into it. That's still not a small amount of money, even though it's small by Hollywood standards and it's a modest budget. Did you look into like who they're like, and this this would be a lot of extra research, but like like the, the first AD and the other like staff that were around him, because like because you can get by with an inexperienced director if well the rest of the production crew around him are experienced. Yeah, it but. didn't seem to be um, as experienced. I did. <laughs> I will say I had to look up because one of the co-executive producers is Neil Young, and I was like, that can't be. That can't be Neil Young, Neil Young. And I looked and it's not. It's not the the musician at all. But I was like, for a split second, I thought maybe somehow for some reason like he wanted it. And no, it wasn't him. But um, Terry Arbogast was the director of photography um, who is, well, I mean, he worked with Luke Besson. He did uh, cinematographer for Fifth Element and Leon and uh, Nikita. So, you know, he's, he, uh, definitely got background, um, did quite a bit of stuff. Chops. Yeah. 
Um, those are good looking mm-hmm. movies. Um, so I think he tried to surround himself with, with decent people, but you're kind of right in that. Like that can help. But at the end of the day, your director is still kind of running the ship. And I think that they just, they just didn't quite, didn't quite get where, where they wanted to go. Um, but yeah. still fun little romp. Like I didn't hate it. It does. It doesn't deserve the the hate that it gets. That's for sure. Like, it's not great, but it's watchable. Yeah, that, it's, that, agreed. It's a fun. It's like a. It, it's. I like to call movies like this. They're the either the Saturday afternoon cable movie or a party movie. It's the movie you get a bunch of people together, and you kind of put it on TV. And it's not. You're not there to like. You're not getting together to watch a movie, right? This isn't movie night where you're you're everybody's sitting down with that goal in mind. This is like you're hanging out and you want to throw something on the TV and maybe poke fun at it, do a little mystery science theater to it. Occasionally, uh, you know, you got, you got, other, my mind. you got other things going on, but you want something. This is the kind of thing you would put on. Um, and you, you certainly have fun with that. There is, at least while I was in college and, and for a while after, there was a long running tradition amongst my friends um, of just doing like bad movie nights. Oh, this yeah. is for us. For us, it was not necessarily bad movies, but movies that were critically panned or just didn't do well, but we thought were just gems. Mm-hmm. And that's and so you know, Wet Hot American Summer, Zoolander. Um, gosh, there was a few others in there. Those are the ones that stand out. But like this would be part of my rotation for that. Like, hey, let's get together, have some drinks, order snacks. Like we're not we're hanging out, and we're watching a movie. But we're hanging yeah. out. Yeah. And like yeah. So yeah, that's the uh, the IMDb rating, the user rating on IMDb kind of fits where I would put this in that four to five range. Where it's like, it can be fun, but it's there's going to be a, a lot of people that are just like, I, I don't like it. I don't really want to watch it. But you can have fun with this. I don't think you get into truly bad. Like, the 10% Rotten Tomatoes is unfair. And that's that's the critic uh, curve, right? You have to kind of grade those on a curve a little bit when you see that. Because critics look at movies a specific way. And most, most critics aren't... like. It's sort of right now the movie that's out that I would call uh, close to this is the Super Mario Brothers movie. Critics don't didn't give that very favorable reviews, but the audiences are loving it. Everybody I've talked to that has seen it already absolutely adores it because it's not a movie made for critics. It's a movie made for just people that love Super Mario Brothers, yeah. fans of that. So, um, yeah, I would like if I were reviewing this, I would give it kind of uh, five, five and a half. Like it's fun. You can, you can have some fun with it, but it's not going to blow your socks off either. Um, but it's certainly, it's very watchable. And that's a big thing for me. Like it's, it looks okay. Some of the CG it's 25 years old now or close to that. So some of the CG is, uh, a little rough, but like, again, it's got that look of a, when you know that it's based on an, um, early to mid nineties full motion video game, the interiors have that look. And I did like that. I thought that was a cool stylistic choice. All the the heads up or the things that were supposed to look like like three D projections yeah. in inside the movie, mm-hmm. like those look terrible, but were spot on for what they were supposed to be. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Objectively, uh, they don't look great, but in context, I liked them and they looked cool. Yeah. Oh, that that's like so. 
it's funny. So you made the comparison uh, for critic critiquing wise uh, to the new Super Mario Brothers movie, which I have not seen. Um, I have not either. But... And I, I, I've been trying more throughout my life to less and less listen to critics. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they often don't know what I like. Right. Um, I liked the first Super Mario Brothers movie. And, and, and that's, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I will. I'm allowed. <laughs> Real quick on that. Cause I, ha- I, I feel as though sure. I have to say something. I liked Bob Hoskins in that movie. Even as a kid, when I was a kid, I liked Bob Hoskins. I didn't understand how John Leguizamo was his brother, but whatever. I, I kind of, even at 10, 11 years old, when that movie came out, I think I might've been, I think I was 11, 11 or 12. Like I sort of just glossed it over. My problem with it back then was that it didn't feel like the games. And as I've gotten older, I've sort of understood like, well, number one, how do you adapt that game to a film, especially then and live action at that. And number two, then, then, then you hear about the making of that movie, which is more fascinating than the movie itself. If you ever want like, I, I love stories of the behind the scenes being more dramatic and crazier than the, than the film that gets made. And that is the prime example of it. It was a husband and wife director. Um, they had created Max Hedrum. So that gives you a little bit of the idea of like the tone that they were going for. They apparently were very difficult to work with. Like the cast and crew hated working with them. And... They had T-shirts made that were like "I survived Super Mario Brothers" or something like that. Uh, Hoskins and Leguizamos talked about how they uh, they spent half the shoot drunk just to get through filming, and there was like scripts were getting they were getting rewrites and new lines all the time and all this kind of stuff. So like the making of that movie was rough. But there's also a part of me that's like, yeah, but with the right group of people, I will sit down and watch it, and I don't care. <laughs> Like I will have fun with that movie. It it was bizarre. Again, like if, to me, that falls in the line of bad movies I like. Because because no matter what, if someone makes something, makes art, makes an experience that they want you to go see, it doesn't always have to make sense completely. No. Uh, it doesn't have to be exactly what you want in your expectations. But if you can sit through it and get what they were trying to do. It's a show, man. Oh, like, absolutely. And for me, like, like, oh, hearing about the Max Headroom bit, um, that makes King Koopa make a lot more sense. Right? Exactly. Like, And, like, the idea of this, like, weird, dark, grungy version of Manhattan being, di- you know, Dino-Hatton or whatever. Like, oh, yeah, they made Max Headroom. Now, I'm, now I'm, I'm seeing that DNA in there um, and stuff like that. And I'm with you. I Like, especially as I've gotten older – Art to me is more interesting, even bad, quote unquote, bad art to me is more interesting because it doesn't always have to make sense. And and I wouldn't call David Lynch bad art, but like I've started watching David Lynch movies that in my 20s I would have not liked because it would have like stuff would have been going over my head and I just wouldn't have gotten it. Like it wouldn't have connected with me. I watched uh, Eraserhead for the first time a few weeks ago. That movie is bizarre as all get out, but I came away from it like in, I enjoyed that movie. Um, and it's just weird. Like it doesn't make any damn sense at all, but I kind of get what it's David Lynch. And I sort of understand that I'm what I'm watching is less 
a narrative film and more of this kind of weird art piece. And mm -hmm. I sort of try to pull yeah. stuff from that. So yeah, I'm with you. And that's why, you know, mo it's hard for me to ever see a movie and be like, I don't ever want to watch that again. Like it, I tend to like most things I didn't love. And part of it was that I enjoyed what I have seen of the series, the last airbender. So when M night Shyamalan's movie came out, I was disappointed with how that worked. And it was like, I don't need to watch that again. Um, I didn't watch his it's, and it's mostly because I wasn't into the series at the time. Mm -hmm. I honestly, I started watching, uh, the, uh, the, the last airbender, the last, the, the first, the first animated series, not the, yeah, yeah. One of the, the last airbender. Female. I started watching that a week ago. So finally, okay. they took a lot of uh, the movie, like lost a lot of what made that series good. Um, but it, again, like that's, I've done, this is the 213th movie that I've covered for this show uh, in 212 episodes. Cause I had one double, double episode where I did two short um, Christmas movies. And of the 213 movies that I have done for this show, the Last Airbender, I don't really ever want to watch again. And I might watch Miami Vice again just to see if it, if I can appreciate it more. When I watched that for the first time, the problem I had with it was it felt it felt like a movie made based on Miami Vice from somebody who didn't like Miami Vice in the 80s, which makes no sense because it's Michael Mann who created Miami Vice that directed that movie. But it was like it just felt so different and i was like i don't like this but i might watch that again but like that's it i've yeah. seen some some crappy movies uh for um other shows or we used to do bad movie days my friends and i would where we would go to the video store and we would find the worst movies we could like we would go check the aisles and find like it, it got extra points if it was a sequel that we never seen the original of and you know we would look at like read the back and see the box art. And if the box art on the front and then you turn it over on the back and there were either no screen captures or whatever you saw of images on the back looked nothing like the front, we would rent that and we would watch it. So that's how I saw like Scarecrow three, which I'm pretty sure was made for two cases of beer and a $20 bill. Like that movie was, you know, that's, that's unwatchable stuff. And I've, I've watched those. So when I see something like wing commander, it's not that terrible. It's not great. It's not winning any awards, but it can be enjoyable. And, and I think that that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. And to people who loved it, cool. Like, I'm glad that you had this movie that you could enjoy at that time or now or whatever. Um, I think that's, that's a ton of fun. I love that. And that's part of what I love about doing this show is getting to see these I, I new was, things. And I distill that down into... In, in, into the basically the, the the working artist's philosophy, you'll 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 probably never be famous, but if you're okay with making a living, have a good time. Like that's this kind of movie. It's not yeah. a blockbuster. It was critically panned, sure, but everyone got to make some money doing it, and it's 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 fun to watch. Absolutely, and that's that is okay. That is just fine in the world of. There is nothing wrong with that. I will never, like. I will never decry actors for do, taking roles in bad movies because they got paid for them. You know, crew, crew got to work. Those people got to pay their rent and their mortgages and feed their kids and 
and whatever else they needed to do based off of that, like they got to work and, you know, some of them, uh, really put a lot into it. Some people will phone it in. That's fine too. You know, I, I look at like, uh, like Bruce Willis in the later stages of his career, phoning in a lot of, uh, performances. Now, some of that we come to find out is the aphasia, uh, being a big part of it, which is a, a bummer to read about. But like, even then I would, I never really like poked at him of like, oh, Bruce Willis is terrible now. It's like, no, he's, he's getting paid. Like he's doing movies to make sure that he gets stuff taken care of. Nick Cage paying, yeah, I mean, making movies so he could pay his tax bills. Like, you know, I'm fine with that. But then he's paying his bills. Yeah. But yeah. then he, then you turn around and they'll pop into something that's really good. Um, and Nick Cage, I do every August, I spend all month doing Nick Cage movies for this show. And, I love him as an actor, whether it's good or bad. He always does. He makes choices. He does things. And sometimes they work and, and sometimes they don't. But that's admirable as far as acting goes. Like if you can just make a choice and stick with it, that'd be the wrong choice. But at least you've still done that, which at least for some actors can be really, really hard. Yeah. Getting to the point where like, do I have to, th- I have to think like the character? I have to make the, I have to decide where I'm coming from and what's my motivation and who am I talking to and what do I want from them? Yeah. You know, he's, a, I think Nick Cage is a little, hmm, I want to say unstable, but he's, uh, his socks are mismatched. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, and you know, sometimes it takes that, it takes that kind of mindset to, to get into doing some of these things. Not everybody can be like, uh, I love the famous um, quote, I think I think it was Air Force One, and there was a scene, Gary Oldman in Air Force One, and he's, he's just being demonstrative and, and angry and, you know, being Gary Oldman in that movie, and then they cut, and he's just super friendly again, and someone's like, how do you get into the mindset? Like, how do you, how do you get into that character? And he's like, it's called acting, my boy. And then you got people like Daniel Day-Lewis who will play a character that uh, is in a wheelchair and make people carry him around the set because he's a method actor. So you get kind of both extremes. Um, and right. and you can right. get good performances out of both, and that's fine. And the same with directors. I think there's some directors that are just directors for hire, and they just show up and they're like, I'm gonna, I've got this script, and the studio wants me to make this, um, and we'll do that. And then there's others that are David Lynch or Denny Villeneuve or, you know, whomever that are, that are auteurs, Quentin Tarantino, they're going to make their movie and the story and the thing that they want to tell. And there's, there's room for both. Um, and that's the, the, the great thing about art in general and, and the art of cinema is that you can have Martin Scorsese or you can have, uh, the fast and the furious and both are fine. (laughs) Who directs fast and furious, you know? Oh, I don't know who's doing them now. Um, I think they started off. It was, oh, uh, um, I know John Singleton did at least one of them. Um, but I don't know who's doing them these days because I think they've gone through a few different directors. James Wan, I think, did one at one point. Oh, I want to say. Huh. Yeah, hey, uh, I guess. Uh, in my in my my little brain, I was like, oh, it's probably the same guy over what 10 films but it would make sense that they (laughs) would have switched people out it's kind of like um when you're doing uh james bond because james bond gets a bunch of different directors Mm. and sometimes the director 
like Martin Campbell has done two of my favorite James Bond films, GoldenEye and Casino Royale. Um, and that's the same director that made Green Lantern, which was not great. So it's like, how does that happen? Well, sometimes directors get a project that really speaks to them, and sometimes they do something and it just doesn't work um, for whatever reason. So it happens. But I've... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, we, 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 we were straying from the wing commander <laughs> topic, so I don't want to go too far. But that's my one of my, my often used descriptions or that I like to use when I'm describing a, like, I worked in, I was a bartender for a long time. So people were like, oh, so what's this thing like? How do you like it? Like, my, my description for something that's like, it's just, it's it's food for everyone. It's not special. And I worked at like a high-end restaurant that like, you get really fancy, we get kangaroo fresh from Australia, like just mm-hmm. banana stuff. Like, well, how do you like the, whatever it was, the burger that's on the, the lunch menu? Like, man, look, it's, it's a, it's a Michael Bay piece of, piece <laughs> of food. Like it's the, it's there. You're going to get some pops and some whizzes and some bangs. It's not art. Yeah. It's See, not... like, that's, it's, it's, that's what the, it's functional. Okay. Yeah. And yep. that, and I, I and I all I really know of Michael Bay is explosions. Every every movie I've seen of his is lots of explosions. He might have done art house stuff. No, no, not really. He basically went from from music videos to uh, Bad Boys, and that was kind of how he got started. So it happens. Like, and sometimes music video directors are Michael Bay, and sometimes they're David Fincher. Like he got started doing music videos and. Now, you know, the stuff that he does is completely different from that. So it takes all kinds to make movies. Um, you get you get either uh, like Rob Cohen did the first Fast and Furious, who he went on to do things like Triple X and yeah. uh, stuff like that. And then you've got John Singleton, who had made um, Boys Boys in the Hood, I think was one of his. Okay. Uh, and like Justin Lin and James Wan. Louis Leterrier is doing Fast 10. He made The Incredible Hulk, uh, the one with uh, Edward Norton. Mm. And he's done some other... uh, Transporter 2 was Louis Leterrier. Actually, my favorite Leterrier movie, though, is Unleashed, his first film, with Jet Li. Um, Jet Li, yeah. That movie is so good. It is criminally underseen. Like, more people need to see that movie. That's one of those... And it's... I stopped... Paying attention to critics at relatively such a young age, I didn't realize that that was an underseen movie. I thought, like, everyone had to have seen Unleashed. That was insane. (laughs) No, I found out about it. Uh, I didn't see it for a couple of years after it came out. I think I didn't see it till like, 08, 09, uh, and I was just blown away. I'm like, this is awesome. We need more stuff like this because it's just different. It wasn't something we had seen really before. Not like that anyway. So... Yeah, we have strayed a little bit, um, which is fine. Uh, but Wing Commander was fun. Thank you for bringing this to me because I wouldn't have watched it otherwise. Absolutely. So, and look, I, I'm I'm glad you hadn't seen it. I guess that's the <laughs> right way to put that. It worked out well. Um, and here's a fun thing. So we were supposed to do this uh, this episode uh, three or four weeks ago, and we had some scheduling snafus. It didn't work out. Sean is being incredibly generous, and he has a copy of Wing Commander on DVD. And what's the other thing you got there? Uh, it is the animated series 
Wing Commander Academy, starring some of the original cast from the video game. So, uh, these these are yeah. So the complete series of Wing Wing Commander Academy and Wing Commander the movie on DVD. And guess what? You got a chance to get this. So, what I want to do is. Um, I am going to run on my Discord, which uh, if you're a part of, you can join there. Um, I will put a link on Twitter to my Discord as well, um, or on Twitter, uh, or you can email tvstravis at gmail.com um, with interest in uh, this thing. And I will, I will, I will bring all of the the entries together, and I will pick at random a winner. So you have to have either seen this video or watched. Uh, Either watch the video or listen to the podcast. Get a hold of me. I'm going to say we are in the middle of April, so I will give uh, two weeks to to get everybody together. So right at the end of April, um, and then I will choose at random uh, one winner, and we will get those DVDs out to you, Wing Commander and Wing Commander Academy. So... This is the only way you'll find out about it, though, is here and uh, and the Twitter post that will talk about it. So, if you want if you want those, let me know uh, either on Twitter and the Discord. I'll set up a, a reply for that, or you can email me um, if you're not on Discord or you don't use Twitter, which some people are. So definitely check that out, Sean. Thanks for uh, for doing that. That's really cool. My pleasure. No, and it was uh, you know sharing the love a little bit. So someone <laughs> else can have fun TV time. Although I will say. <laughs> Um, no, it's great. I love having physical copies of things. Uh, just in general, it's kind of nice, especially now that digital media is so distributed. Uh, mm-hmm. Services like, let's say, the Nintendo eShop can go down, and then you can't get access to your digital games anymore. Right. The physical copies are nice. However, I believe Wing, Wing Commander, the, the movie, not the, not the animated series, that's pretty rare and special. But the movie is on Amazon Prime for like $5 or 3 something right now. Okay. Discounted it from like 9 bucks to like <laughs> to buy it Full digital retail, so uh, which would probably be less than the shipping than for both of these. <laughs> I'll pay shipping, so it's it's whoever wants it, you, you got it. And you'll get to see on the back where or in and the liner notes in the DVD where they have all the characters listed out. You'll see that they put uh, the character of or the actor Checky Cairo. Um, they have a picture of Jurgen Prochnow there, which cracks me up. So definitely That's not come out, but hey, but yeah, That's there it is. Yeah, so so that'll be cool. Um, now, Sean, let people know where they can find you or stuff that you're working on. You said you're a voice actor. You've done some some things. Let people know oh, about man. that. Oh, man. Uh, I'm a man of, of, of many talents. Uh, so <laughs> I uh, former bartender of 16 years. I quit uh, right, right around this time last year. Uh, but I still have a TikTok channel where I talk about uh, just uh, all the things food service and bar and cocktail and, and uh, mostly bartending stuff. Uh, so you can find me on Tuck Talk mail underscore or sorry, just mail NPC all one all one word. Um, you can find uh, Wasted Knowledge, which is my podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, again, with bartending stuff. Uh, I'm also a voice actor, so WylandVO.com. But you can find me on the Dracula uh, dramatic podcast series. Uh, there's another one coming out. Oh no, I forgot the name. Shoot, there's another podcast that I recorded for this last fall that should be coming out uh, late late spring. Uh, I'm in some video games. Uh, I'm in Wizard 101. I'm in Encodia. I just auditioned for a bunch more. Uh, and I'm also a program director for a video game company called King's Isle Entertainment. 
Um, so I get around. Yeah. Very <laughs> I'll be cool. speaking at Dragon Con again this year if you want to see me live. Excellent. There. Well, thank you. Stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on this week. This was a ton of fun. We'll definitely have to do this again. I'll find a movie you haven't seen and we'll get you back on. We'll make you watch that. Yes. So that'll, that'll be, be good. That'll be great. And, uh, and one of these, one of these times I'm going to make it to Dragon Con. And when I do, we're, we'll, uh, we'll get to sit down and talk even more. I, so I, and I, I don't know if you partake, but I do do a live bartending show amongst other shows at Dragon Con. So excellent. Um, I would be there. I want to be a, 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 a guest sipper. Oh, I could do that. I'm good at that. <laughs> I am good at sipping. Nice. Uh, now this show, um, I typically record around 8 PM Eastern time on Twitch, uh, Sunday nights, um, times vary, but, uh, it always comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays. So you can get it anywhere you get your podcast, uh, podcasts. It's wait. You haven't seen, you can also go to my website, tvstravis.com and you can find this show and any of the other shows that I do. Uh, there's a Patreon for it as well. Uh, patreon.com forward slash W Y H S. Uh, and you can support the show financially if you want to, for as little as a dollar an episode. Um, and there are things like monthly movie nights I do on my Discord um, through there. Uh, get together and we do, I call them movie catch-up nights. And I, I do, uh, for my patrons, films they haven't seen yet uh, from the back catalog of this show now that I've got 213 choices. Um, and uh, we'll watch that. Or if it comes up and there's none of those that they want to watch, we'll just watch something else. Whatever, it's fine. Uh, just a fun little movie night with patrons. So... Stuff like that. Um, you can find all that at tvstravis.com. Now, next week, my guest is going to be Gerald Morris from Two Peas on a Podcast. And he's coming back, uh, and we're going to watch A History of Violence. And I am excited for this because I have not seen it before. And uh, I don't think he has either. And I hear really good things about it. So I'm, I'm excited to watch this one. Um, so that's going to be next episode of this show. Um, as Sean, thank you so much for being here. This has been a ton of fun and we'll do it again for sure my pleasure thanks for having me on and uh as i like to say every week enjoy your movies everybody let's be excellent to each other this has been wait you haven't seen Bad. I mean, that's not bad, but the second best pilot of the Academy. You shut up! Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>